You guys, I am so excited to have Dr. Omolara. I practice that quite a lot. Dr. Omolara, but you guys are in for a treat. Welcome to Breaking Protocol with Tavana Denise. I'm your host, and we have Dr. Omolara here, who is such an amazing person. And I really wanted to have her come on and share her story, her approach to doing things, and what she's up to and why what she's doing right now has just really helped her blow up in the game in spite of, I think, this pandemic. And so we have a lot of things that we are going to probably talk about. We're probably going to be all over the place. Yeah. I told her I had coffee this morning. And what did you say, Omolara? I said I have two kids, so I don't need coffee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I hope you enjoy, but let's go. Let me tell you all of the, like, let me get official for a second. Dr. Omolara Uemodimo is a board certified pediatrician for over 15 years, public health professor, researcher, and health equality advocate for women and children of color. Dr. O is what I'm going to call her, is the CEO of Strong Children Wellness, a community-based medical practice in New York and founder of Melanin medicine and motherhood an organization focused on supporting the retention of black women physicians in medicine in order to ensure equitable health care for communities of color so Omalar, I'm so, so glad that we have you here. And I was like, okay, I know we scheduled this call weeks ago mm -hmm. before this stuff hit the fan. Yes. And I, I sent her a message yesterday. I sent you a message yesterday and I was like, okay, so this is what I think we need to talk about. This is what we need to call it. And we find ourselves in some very interesting times as women, as women in healthcare, as women with melanin in our skin in healthcare. And I want to talk about all of it today because breaking protocol is about thinking differently, doing things differently. And you have been doing some really, really interesting things differently. So I want to have us take the listeners back to where you were. Like, how did you even decide that you were going to get into coaching and empowering women of color that are in medicine. So thank you, Savannah. I'm so excited to be on here because I just so much connect with you and I'm so happy to be able to support your you know, podcast in any way. And it's also National Physicians Week, so I'm just gonna big that up, okay? So. <laughs> okay. But, um, it, it's funny because if you asked me a year ago, literally a year ago from today, I would have said, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing fine in my, you know, in my bubble, like overwork and doing research, clinical care, doing advocacy work, all of that. I'm doing fine. And then last year in May in 2019, a week before my daughter's birthday, I started like teetering and tipping over and kind of getting really clumsy. And I thought it was just me. And then within the course of a week, I couldn't walk. Mm. And it was kind of like, what is going on? I'm a physician trying to self-diagnose. It took me a while to get in. And then finally, I ended up at a neurologist, couldn't walk and was hospitalized. Long story short, I was found to have multiple sclerosis and they found a brain lesion. They had to rule out cancer. And then finally, they thought it was multiple sclerosis, which it is. And I left that hospital with two epiphanies. One, 
I couldn't do any work. They, they put me on medical leave. They distributed all my work to five people. So that was interesting and a wake up call. And then the second thing is I was discharged with a walker and no specific idea of whether or not I would regain mobility to walk fully the way I was. So, you know, when I sat in the hospital bed alone, I think one of the big things for me was that my work defined me. I went into a seven year BSMD program at the age of 15. From five is when I knew I wanted to be a pediatrician. And since then, I was on a crash course diligently, like my mom said, work hard, got to work hard, diligently on that course, had not wavered from it. I did medicine in Africa, in Asia, came back here, did research, everything on that way. And never once did I look at an opportunity and say, this is not for me or this is for me. I said, okay, every opportunity, take it, you never know. And I think when I was in that bed, I literally had no work, nothing. And I literally just had myself and I had no idea who I was at all because Mm. I I had been so defined. I Um, think that's interesting that you mentioned that because there are so many women that, especially in the work that I do, that most of the people are at 15 years or Mm -hmm. more in the practice. And they're like, I don't know how to be anything Mm -hmm. else. I don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. 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 And that was the thing. I sat there and my, my brother called me and he was like, Omala, you just got to stop. What brings you joy? Cricket. <laughs> I was like, helping people. Stop. Stop the foolishness. What <laughs> brings you joy, Omala, or that you don't do for other people? Crickets. Mm-hmm. I spent three and a half months learning to walk from a fabulous vestibular physical therapist who is right now pretty high up there in terms of like the people that like changed my life. But during that time, I also sat down and was journaling. My mom told me to journal. And as I was journaling, like my struggle, I was also journaling what were the things that actually helped me. And one thing that I learned while doing that was I needed some support. And I opened this Facebook group, which was just for Black moms. And it was just like, hey, I feel isolated. How about you? And moms just like literally flooded in the gates of it. But then I started to realize that the place that I was in terms of talking to different moms, there was this niche where I was finding there was, there were not huge, like not a myriad of outlets, but a lot of outlets for working black moms. But -hmm. when we talked about black mom healthcare workers and black mom physicians, because we're not supposed to show any vulnerability, any idea that we're struggling. There were so few outlets specifically catering to us. And not only the healthcare piece, but the piece that has to do with the microaggressions, the discrimination and the bias that we deal with. And I was like, okay, this doesn't exist. Okay, maybe someone else is doing it. (laughs) And push come to shove, I looked at my journal and I was like, what have I learned across? What would be helpful for other people? I know I'm a helper. And maybe it might be time to help people in a different way. And that was kind of the epiphany of Melanin Medicine Motherhood, which initially was Supermom Rehab. And then as I niched down and really saw Black women physicians as the people that I connected to most and could understand that struggle, it became melanin medicine and motherhood. <laughs> I think your your story, just your personal story is, is phenomenal. 
And we talked a little bit about that when we met, we're in a, a coaching program together. And she's like, you're a physical therapist. I love you guys. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I was like, well, of course, right? <laughs> because it's just that it's one thing to be on one side. And then it's a totally different thing when you, you get to experience being a patient, right? And, mm-hmm. and just have so much respect for one. Like, I, I, I could be wrong, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but like working with a physical therapist personally just gave you a newfound respect for the work that we do. Yes, um, it did. And it also gave me a newfound respect for, you know, what we ask people to do right and then we Mm -hmm. don't do ourselves Mm -hmm. so the work that we ask people to tell me everything about your life you know share everything trust me even though i've only either met you like in the beginning of our our relationship i've only met you tell me everything and be willing to do what i say and if we put ourselves on the other hand like we don't we don't have a symbiotic relationship when it comes to the provider and patient it's very, even though we've tried to do like family centered, it still is that divide. And I think becoming a patient allowed me to see how much we ask patients to do. And it also allowed me to see that patients like myself, we're human beings. And so I think the medical practice or even in healthcare, we have really created people to be these like you know, people with diseases and nothing else around them or people with conditions or people with disabilities and really taking the scope of thinking about how I could connect with people in a way that understands that they're not either a profession, they're not a diagnosis, they are a human being with all different parts. And specifically for us, we've been trained to not be anything else, right? As healthcare workers, we've been trained to be The person, you ask the question, we'll give you the answer, we'll help you. I'm not a sister, I'm not a mom, I'm not a daughter, I'm not not anything like that, I'm not a wife. I am solely the doctor. And... I think that's interesting because I just had a conversation a few weeks ago with one of the physicians at the hospital where I am, who I love so much. And I had to stop and ask her the question, are you a mom? Mm -hmm. Like I had no clue about that part of this beautiful human being that was standing in front of me. And so I, I think you are on to something when you said like, okay, I reached out to the women and it was a bigger group. And then you realized that you needed to serve. So I think it's very interesting because a number of us get to this space, right? You were at a place where you had been practicing for 15 or more years. And now you, you've had a halt, mm-hmm. kind of like we're experiencing in this pandemic that we're, yes. we're going through right now. Like pause, pause. Mm-hmm. do not pass go. You cannot Pasco, you cannot do what you were doing before. And you're having to ask yourself the question of, okay, I still want to help people. Maybe it has to look a little bit different. So like before two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. I had many conversations with people and I see the gears like grinding Mm -hmm. where they're like, oh, I want to do something different. I want to help in a different way, but I can't. And now everybody's collectively forced to stop and think. So I'd love to ask you like, what came up for you when you said, maybe I need to help in a different way? Like what kind of thoughts or concerns or fears did you have when you said, okay, I still want to help, but maybe it's in this different way that is so possibly far removed from being the doctor? Yeah. I mean, it's a status symbol. If we're going to be really 
like transparent, right? Like you spend all this time, all of these years sacrificing your 20s and like you come out with this degree and like, you know, lots of money to pay back people. And the idea is that this is this is the epiphany. This is what I'm going to, to be. And, it, and I'm not going to say that it was not. That was, I love like being a physician and I still am with Strong Children Wellness. I'll be doing more telemedicine work, but not to the same degree. And I think the issue here is for many of us, how can I say it? One of the big things that I think that we have to get over is the fact that we've been indoctrinated to feel that being the physician is and will be the be all in terms of like the best way to help people. Like that's the only way. And I will say that medicine in general, for me, right, the way that I think about it, it is ingrained in terms of there are certain systems in it that are inherently racist, systems in it that are inherently biased, that don't cater to people from other cultures and how we, and either how we feel like healing happens, or even the approach of having one person and one person rather than one person with potentially a bunch of people. And so there's a lot that I think is wrong with it that we entered it into it as physicians. And a lot of times when we enter in, it's like, this is how it is. Mold yourself, fix yourself, get it done that way. Instead of saying, instead of having the levity to be able to like change it and mold it in different ways. I will say for me, as a physician, I was always the late doc. No medical assistant wanted to be with me because they were like, she talks too much. She's going to be <laughs> hugging the patients. Then she's going to be like talking to the mom instead of, instead of doing everything for the, like she's after she finished with the kid and, and she should be getting the, them out. She's going to be doing this. And, and we overhear her and they're giggling. And they're like, this, this is a mess. And that's why we're here. All, and, and there was no, no shows online or whatever. Like nobody would not show. Right. So it was very, you know, it was very clear that the way that medicine was, which was going to be in pediatrics is 15 minutes right? The way that it was is not a good fit with how I felt like I could really connect with women and specifically women of color who have so, so many additional issues than when they're raising their children than just the child that they're dealing with. And so I think, you know, for us as physicians, I think one of the things is recognizing yourself, taking that pause and recognizing what is it that you connect with what's your zone of genius in medicine and what's the pieces that are really not helping you and making you grow and for me my zone of genius really was connection and supporting women and maybe the paperwork and the runny noses and everything weren't had to come with it but weren't potentially like where i was where i thrived yeah i think a lot of people not just as physicians but the rest of us in allied health are saying something very similar we get into it because we want to help people and we feel this this angst when we want to spend the extra time we want to give the hug we want to let them cry on our shoulder or what have you and but productivity right? Mm -hmm. You you have to keep going. Did you figure out any ways for people to still be true to themselves and how they want to practice and not necessarily mold all of the way and still maintain productivity and get home to their kids at night at a decent hour, I would say? So that's what I do now. <laughs> so I mean, 
while I was in it, no. And the reason is, like you said, because you can't like literally be on the dance floor and be at the balcony at the same time, right? We can't like see what's actually going on. And so it wasn't until I stepped back that I was like, oh, oh, and I see that, oh, that's why my friend talked to me too. And my, my other physician friend, cause we're literally all doing it, but we're all in the middle of it. And none of us are saying that, that no, you, we have to switch that up. And so once, so some of the things like, it's really around kind of my framework about how to really think as physicians. And I think it, of course, extends to healthcare workers in general. But I think I talk about like having that time for clarity, right? That first place of really getting clear and knowing what my genius is and knowing what my desires are. And so we do a lot around purpose and vision. But then the other piece is the confidence, right? That's the piece where it's like, but I'm a doctor. Like, I no, I don't do that. You know, I, I, I want to do it, but I've never done it. So I can't do it. And I have a mortgage. <laughs> and, I have right. and yeah, that might not be a good look for me. And so what is the, what's the confidence in terms of how do we move you towards that? Like, how do we identify a four-way win? Why this is going to be so important that it's not just going to be important for your work, but it's going to be important for your relationship, for yourself, for your, for your parenting. And so we talk about routines and finding your fuel, which is self-care and knowing your no, right? And knowing what is it that is the boundary that's going to get you closer to where you want to be. And then the, the other big thing is like the community. And that was why I felt to some degree that I had to create something that was collective because I feel particularly as black women and most people of color, we come from ancestral roots that are communal where we mm. like connect with each other. And the idea of having one-to-one relationships is very Western. And I'm going to say very European. <laughs> and I think that as someone who's Nigerian American and seeing like being when I would visit and go back home and seeing that like my mom would be somewhere. I don't know where she was, but I know there were like eight moms around while all of us were playing and any one of them could like tell us, look, stop, stop the shenanigans. <laughs> so really around that communal feeling and that shared experience, especially for us as physicians, and I'm sure in and most of the healthcare fields, only 2% of us are, are, are 2% out of 900 and so thousand physicians, that's 24,000, are actual Black women. And mm-hmm. so you're, most of our time, we're not going to see each other, you know, mm-hmm. except if you're in New York or California. And being able to bring people together. Or Atlanta. Or Atlanta. <laughs> How did I miss Atlanta? <laughs> that shared experience, you know, that allows for you, one, to claim your courage and say, okay, she's doing it. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to delegate to find those people. And then also to act, to make sure you're acting with accountability and saying, okay, I not only have a vision, I not only want to move it forward, but I need to share that and say it out loud. So then other people are actually now invested in it and are going to hold my feet to the fire. Ooh, so let's talk about that because we talked (laughs) about the status, we talked about being right and all of that. And so, and maybe this has just been my experience, but I noticed that some of us, especially in the healthcare community, 
when we have, they say we want to be part of community because in my group, it's about women entrepreneurs in healthcare, right? So we can go to group that other like Marie Forleo has, but it's something powerful, like what you say about having that shared experience and the lingo and all of that of being, okay, we're doing this thing. But we're, we're also, we also have that, that commonality about being in healthcare, right? Which makes it even more, in my opinion, special. But it's interesting because I still sometimes get this sense that this barrier is up. Like I can't necessarily share or I won't share what my challenges are or what my goals are. So because I don't want other people to see any weaknesses or me making a mistake. Have you experienced that? And what's your take been on that? Yeah. Oh, have I experienced that? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what we experience daily. Like it, the idea even of growing my Facebook group, right, which is specifically Black women physicians, there is a healthy dose of skepticism when I'm inviting women to come into the group because it's like, because that's kind of how we have to perceive most things because I think in particular for me, it, it was unsafe. Healthcare is unsafe for Black women many times. And whether you're on the provider side or the patient side. What do you mean and, by that? And so patient side, I know there was a certain defensiveness around how I would be perceived if I didn't share that I was Dr. Omolara Uemadimo. And what I mean by that is there is a tendency not to like inform me fully sometimes from people, inform me about all of the risk. There's a tendency to sometimes not give me all of the information that I need. There's a tendency sometimes not to even acknowledge like the fact that, you know, there may be other people involved in my decision-making or that, you know, or what the extent is of like, how I'm processing it, or even if I ask questions and it being misconstrued as being hostile or mm. being misconstrued as not wanting to do it, that I'm inquisitive and want to get more information. From the mm. provider side, there's a tendency for us to potentially have to conform if we're too loud or too you know, knowledgeable and want to share that. It, for some people, it actually pushes them to think that we're angry or why are we being emotional or why are we, why are, why is everything about, you know, race or, or this and not really acknowledging the fact that if you have a, if you have a historical background of mistrust in the healthcare system that is very, that is very rooted in, you know, Tuskegee and other experiments and things like that. And whether it be, and we've read about this in 1619, the new thing that came out in New York Times. And so I think that we have learned both on the patient and provider side to very much be very guarded about how we present ourselves. I'm very defensive <laughs> when I come in and that's sad you know, because I, I don't want to be like that. But I think I've been indoctrinated to feel like that after seeing how some people, even my parents have been treated or even, you know, before their doctor daughter comes in and like, mm -hmm. oh, doctor, okay, yeah, these are the tests that we're going to do, doctor. How come he doesn't know exactly what that procedure is? How come you're telling him to go to surgery <laughs> and sign this and he has no clue what's going on? And so I think that it's allowed us to be guarded and it's caused us to be guarded, excuse me. And what that does now for us is really, uh, it really then tells us 
hmm, every space is not a safe space. So now I have to check, is it a safe space? Do these people get me? Do they understand not only the things I'm dealing with as a mom, but then as a healthcare worker, but then as a black woman? And are all of those pieces of me that intersect understood by this environment? Mm, okay. And I appreciate what you're saying about the experience of a black woman in healthcare and a black person anyway. But what do you think is happening? Because we are only two or three percent of the profession. So I'm even experiencing it just globally. So has that been your experience when it comes to getting together a group of healthcare providers? Ha- and so in has, terms of mm-hmm. the like the guardedness so i understand yeah. the guardedness so, from the from getting in yeah. from getting in once in <laughs> it's like this beautiful like experience right where it's like like today i found out that one of my one of my group members has covid and she's at home and she's recovering and I, I texted her and I was like, can I please, I'm not going to mention your name, but can I please tell people so that everyone can just send prayers and blah, blah, blah. I think, and she was like, yes, yes. Sent that in. And it was like full force. It was like, everyone was like, oh my gosh, they're sending prayers, blah, blah, blah. We love, and like literally blah, 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 blah. And so I think the thing is that that's just our natural home to like support each other. Right. Mm-hmm. But when we are distanced, when we're not, when we are in a system that doesn't allow us to equally enter into this helping field in a way that it does for other races, that it starts to give you some pessimism. And so when you enter spaces like this, it's kind of like you can breathe. And it's Mm. kind of like I can share. And these people get me. And no one thinks I'm angry when I say, or people know that I'm a joyful person. Like, that, you know, even if I don't smile, like, that doesn't mean I am this horrible person. Like, so it's just kind of, it's you, and you know this, you know this from the nod, from the eye roll, from all of those things that are body language that we know from each other that we don't have to say a word. And mm. that kind of community is really special and really helpful for people who want to move into different spaces because it now allows for them to really think about, oh, you know, let me take this off, let me take this off, and let's just deal with the actual issue of how to get from where I am to where I want to be without all of the other, you know, things that we have to deal with. Yeah, I think that's that's so important because some people that might be listening to this want to create their own community. So tell me what are some of the things that you think you did well or did right and what are some of the things if you had to go back and that was a oops of like i would do this differently yeah okay right see i'm gonna thank you for starting with right that's very coachy because you know oh. i would i would no because i would go straight to okay this is what i did wrong and this is what i did wrong but the but um you know we both read in our book club start finishing and he talks about post-mortem Car- charlie gilkey and he talks mm-hmm. about the fact that like often We'll do it for everything that's unsuccessful. And then we just attribute luck to the things that happened like correctly for us and the things mm-hmm. that were right. And so I appreciate that because it's like, okay, yeah, let's do a postmortem and like what actually went right. I think the most important thing was being honest with who I was. And it's funny because I just am watching Netflix self-made. 
Oh, and, yeah. And about I Madam C.J. Walker. Yes. Yeah. And I actually came up with like an alliteration. And I think because of a few of the things that I saw just in the first episode. And I think the, the first thing I saw was her story. And I think that the idea of really sharing with people and taking off that mask, I was really happy to take it off. And so I was like, okay, this is me. I'm not the most, you know, fancy doctor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is there such a thing? We got fancy doctors you now? Know, okay. like people are, you know, you're in Atlanta, you know, like people <laughs> are, you know, in the nines, like we're all spruced up. I'm not the Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> I am fine in a hoodie and doing, and doing quite fine in those, but who am I and what do I want? What do I want to bring? And also, I think the thing was opening it up as I am not your savior, right? I am a person who is who's opening this space and I've read some things that hopefully may help, but then you've read some things that hopefully may help and really having a symbiotic relationship with people. And I think the other piece of it was also sometimes like we're starting groups and we're starting groups because of the business or because getting out there. And I, and it was really, it was something that I forget her name, but she runs a group called the heart centered entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And she talked a lot about just the generosity of value and how in the world, in the universe that just like comes back to you, like mm -hmm. regardless. And I was like, okay, I can do value. Like that's what I, that as a healthcare worker, that's, that's my MO. Like, right. and so just being connected to that, I think was really helpful in terms of things that didn't go well for me, I think was, even though I was being vulnerable, I wasn't being completely vulnerable. I'm getting mm. there now. Like it's so, a process. Me it's too. a process. So, <laughs> you know, that of like, what really makes you angry right now? And starting to write down those rants mm. and being like, oh, that makes me angry. And being able to share that and mm -hmm. not be scared, that's a process and something that I am moving towards. And I think that I'm seeing that as I start to share that, that that allows for that my, the people who really connect with me to find me and be like, yep, mm -hmm, it's her. Mm -hmm. And the right. people who don't to be like, Okay, we'll just leave this group. Right, and being okay with that. <laughs> exactly, and being like, yeah, it's probably it's probably best you should because it's only going to get worse. So it's oh, probably that's funny. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness, so good. So I want to circle back for a second because okay. we did talk about wanted to title this managing. Mm -hmm motherhood and medicine in a pandemic, right? And yes. you said one of the women that is a part of your community has been diagnosed with that. Mm -hmm. And and I want to talk about like so many things, so many things I want to talk about with regard to COVID, but let's start there. Like, how do you think we can best support our fellow healthcare workers that are still out there on the front lines, you know, mm -hmm. because one of the biggest things that many people are concerned about as women in healthcare who are mothers is transmitting it to their family and transmitting it to their children. And so is there anything in particular that you would want to share from your community? Because mm -hmm. that they are the women that are on the front lines, they're not non-essential healthcare workers, like mm -hmm. they are in it. 
Yeah. And we have a mixed group. We have those of us that are like researchers and like are non-essential now. And then those of us that are like clinicians that are very essential and putting themselves out. And, and I think the main thing that I, I really stressed to them was grace. That was the first thing that we also have been taught to be pretty o- OCD in terms of like control and in terms of navigating chaos, whether that be in, a ha- in how a patient presents to us or whether that be uh, in an in a investigative problem or a research problem that we're looking at. And so I think the first thing, and I talked about this with the moms who were in my collective, we had a, a call last night and I talked to them about the grace of understanding that it's okay to not to have to not have to have a little bit of chaos and feeling out of sorts and to have a grace that it's not going to look perfect right now i think is the first thing that people have to think about i think the second thing is really this is an awesome time to think about priorities and setting and really thinking about what truly makes sense? Okay, you probably, if you're listening really hard, you probably heard my kids like running around. They're supposed to be doing homework or some kind of workbook and we have a schedule up. Now, right now I'm doing this. My husband is in charge of their schooling. I'm not gonna say if that's good or bad, but I (laughs) heard them running around. So we're gonna just like put those pieces together. And I think the thing is I have to be okay with the fact that if they get an hour or two of like actual work done, I'm okay. They're going to survive and we're going to be okay. And, you know, I think that that's the other piece that we need to give ourselves grace around. But then the last thing that I think is particularly important is we've been doing a lot of messaging and I'm writing a blog on this. So, but I put out a post today, but we've been putting, doing a lot of messaging about healthcare heroes. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm ambivalent about that in a way because I feel that it's hearkening me back to residency, which as many doctors will know, is not a time that was amazing for many of us. It's a time of (laughs) a lot of stress. And what it did to us is it told us that we, the hospital is everything and the patients are everything. And we did sign up to help people. Mm -hmm. I do think that what the hero term does to us is it takes away a little bit of our humanity. Superheroes are, you know, are, are what they are. They're these like people who are larger than life and able. And when we put that, like I think about, when we think about that, we want, we, it's amazing for what, what people can do, but it also takes away the fact that I don't want to be shunned for saying I'm scared. I don't mm. want to be shunned for saying, I don't want to do that. I I have this, I'm really scared about this or I'm tired. And what it does is it now sets this mold that this is what the populace, this is what, how you are. This is your, this is how you're supposed to be. And if you have anything that deviates from that, any feeling that is a normal human feeling to what we're going through, that now is seen as negative or seen as something that we have to hide within us and starts the motions of potential burnout, resentment, depression, anxiety. And so I have been, I've been putting it together, but writing around the fact that we need to really think of ourselves as all of us as heroes, right? In terms of this pandemic, Mm -hmm. Um, not healthcare workers, but really starting to like, Stop pushing the ability for us to get better as a nation 
to the healthcare workers and remember like the ability to get better actually sits with us and stay your butt home. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, that that's actually what's gonna help. But yeah, so I think, you know, I, and I've been talking with moms and a lot of women physicians have been totally resonating with that. And the delegation piece is particularly powerful. So this is the time for people to reset, Tavana. This is the time for people to say, you know what? Maybe my child can actually make her bed because I have to go to the hospital. Maybe, maybe my husband can actually like make breakfast today since he's working from home now. Maybe we can see these new things and actually set up new boundaries and identify what's in my zone of genius that I should be doing and what's in his zone of genius that he should be doing. And even if it's not, how do we make this more equal rather than being the sacrificial lamb every day, all day? Oh, preach. I think that is so, so interesting because we're talking about difficult decisions that people are now being forced to make all the way around. So I had an experience just yesterday where I got a call. I still was doing PRM work at the hospital and the manager called and said, Hey, we're calling off all the PRNs for the rest of this week. And I was going to go because out of integrity, I had said that I would be there. So I would be there. But I also had this moment of relief where it's like, okay, now I don't have to go. Mm-hmm. And then I also had this moment of gratitude mm-hmm. that I'm in a position to where I don't actually have to go. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that were really struggling for hours and needed or wanted to be there, they can have them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you really hit the nail on the head with this conflict, this inner conflict that we have around making difficult decisions in these times. And so it makes me think also about pivoting and like what things have you done differently in your business since the crisis started, yeah. if anything? Yeah, um, actually just had two, two webinars that were really around what are the, th- the shifts that we can make. And I think one of the biggest things that is really important is holding, like even for that, even if we're not on the front lines, I'm not on the front lines is holding space for that. And really because no one else in like Yarnamo society is not holding space for that inner conflict, for people to talk about how scared they are, how worried they are. It's holding us up to say, do a great job and, and you know, please like save all of these people. And we know that you might get COVID and possibly die, but you know, keep going. And you're kind of like, I'm, I'm frightened out of my mind. And so holding space in these circles to be able to ha- like oper- offer those opportunities uh, of like, tell me how you're really feeling, guys. Like that, I think already is just, it sounds so minimal and trivial uh, in terms of the whole thing, but it's so powerful for people to just be able to breathe and either cry it out on Facebook, type it in caps or whatever they want to do. I think that's the first thing. I think the other big thing that when I'm thinking about the pandemic and the shift that I made was really about the power of connection. This is like, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's flipped. It's opened this, like this world to see kind of how powerful, right? How like, how core connection is for us, like as a human you know, entity, like for us to be able to interact with other people. And 
allowing us to also see, although social media is so bashed, you know, bashed all the time, but allowing us to think about how can we utilize social media, Zoom, video, all of these things to maintain that. And what I've done in my business is really with, the, with having a collective, right? So mm -hmm. it's like centered on the idea that you might be also feeling really now isolated, right? And so how can I actually, how can we restore your hope in moving forward by one, giving you connection with other people and then two, allowing for you to see what's that vision. We talk about something called strategic futuring in my collective. And the idea is futuring is like 15 years. You think out 15 years ahead and you've moved backwards. So the pandemic is a blip, honestly, like in that time period. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it gives people a different perspective on yeah, okay, we're gonna have to change some things for the next 90 days. But that vision of me being promoted as associate professor or that vision of me becoming the dean of this, how and what can I do right now? What's the one thing that would make a difference in these three months that could move me forward in that and keeping that momentum going? And so I think that having a collective and being in a group that allows for you to create objectives that aren't like, do this and on day one, do this on day two, but are mm -hmm. objectives that really say to you, how can I keep moving forward despite all the chaos? One last thing I'll, I'll mention is that I often, when I talk about it, use the tornado analogy and use the idea, right, that while there's all of this going on, there's that one specific place, like the eye, where mm -hmm. there's just that calm. And it's your job to figure out as everything is just going crazy, where's your special place? Where is the I for you? And where, mm -hmm. where is it so you can continue and you can say, I'm going to go there. If it might be in the morning when you do your yoga, it might be like when you're talking to your kids before you leave. It might be when you're on a podcast and you can hide in your room and talk to Tavana <laughs> while, <laughs> while you don't know what's happening outside your door. So those are some of the things that like stick with me when I'm thinking about how to support women physicians and women healthcare workers and particularly those of color. Yeah. So great. I know we could talk forever, <laughs> just forever. Cause even we're on the phone, we go forever. Yes. <laughs> so I want to just get stop here because we're going to use the last few minutes to interact with the members of the thrive yeah. network. But before we exit off the podcast, please tell people how they can get in touch with you, be part of that membership and be a part of the collective. Yeah, the collective is a, it's a personal and professional development program. So like, like you heard, you have a bunch of like, we have courses, but we have live videos and then we have group coaching. And so the best place to connect with me is either you DM me um, or on Facebook or Instagram at Melanin Medicine Motherhood. I have a website, www.guesswhatmelaninmedicinemotherhood.com. And then, you know, if you're listening and you either know a Black woman physician, I have a Facebook group and that's called Melanin Medicine and Motherhood. And so once you get to my website, you can like connect with me, but, at, you know, at blog, podcast, LinkedIn, Twitter, I'm, I'm all over. So <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Sending you a big virtual hug, sis. Yeah. And we are going to 
take it over to the Facebook group. So if you want to interact with Dr. Omolara or any of the other guests that come on Breaking Protocol, you know that you need to be in the Thrive Network for Women in Healthcare because after we finish our conversation, we take it live in the group and we continue on. So Thrive Network for Women in Healthcare on Facebook.